0: All right. You can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, as we continue our series on normal church, everyday calling for everyday Christians. We've uh, gone two messages into this series, seeking to lay out for us a really practical and attainable mission for every Christian, not just for us as a church. What are we called to do as a corporate body of believers? But what are you supposed to do as an individual Christian? What is your calling? And we talked about how uh, we are to speak the truth in love, that we are to, as we saw last time, acknowledge the everyday reality of our own struggles so that we can even help others by being honest about those struggles as we seek to grow closer together uh, in Christ. But there's one thing to, to have a clear sense of your mission. But in order to be successful in your mission, you have to be on the same team With those around you, you know there's a couple of football games going on right now, right? Um, Actually, one just finished, in case you're wondering. Um, I won't tell you who won, but I, but I know some of you are hoping I'll finish within the next six minutes so you can watch the next one. But uh, not going to do that. Sorry. Um, But if we think about football for a second, we'll think about it for a second, right? There's a mission you want to win the game, but in order to win the game effectively, not only should you know your role, your position, your assignment, but you need some team chemistry, right? You need to be unified with your teammates, be on the same page so that you can accomplish your mission successfully. So I want to do tonight and next week, actually, kind of a bit of a two-parter in this series and talk about the, the, the essential nature of love in all of this, how that we as Christians, if we are going to, to fulfill our calling in the church, need to have a heart of love for one another, and we need to reach the heart of each other. And so today, we're going to focus on loving from the heart. Next week, we're going to focus on how do we reach the heart, and what does that look like in how we help each other. If we are called to speak the truth in love, then we need to love, right? Love doesn't define just the manner in which we speak, but it is our heart toward each other. How do you view others in this church, all right? If you look around, look around real quick, look around, all right? Everyone else in this room, do you love each other? Now, I'm not talking about that person that you already like, okay? (laughs) All right, I'm thinking of that other person in the room that maybe you don't like very much, okay? Do you love them? Do you have a heart for them? Before we ever get to learning how to help others, how to speak the truth in love, it's essential that we have a genuine and biblical view of others, Specifically, the others in this church family. What, through what lens do you view the other people in this room tonight? And you may be thinking, well, it depends on the person, right? No, we can't do that. I want what, one lens for everyone else in this room. What lens do you view them through? Do you see them as just a assorted collection of random people? Some you know, some you don't, some you like, some you dislike, some you click with some you avoid. The normal mission of every church member will never be accomplished if we do not see each other and approach each other in a biblical way. If we are to speak the truth in love, you must have a heart of love toward those to whom you are speaking." If you seek, if you think about it, if you seek to speak the truth to someone else in this room but don't have a genuine heart of love toward that individual, I think we all know how the truth will come across. Perhaps impatient, uh, judgmental, arrogant. We're going to see in 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 22 through 23 a very practical and straightforward uh, set of verses that tell us how we should and why we should love each other from our hearts. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, 22-23. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Consider the type of love that is being described in these verses. The command really is found at the end of verse 22. We are called to love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. We should view view each other with love. So what are we talking about when we say love? Well, it's to have a warm regard for, a genuine interest in each other that shows itself in seeking their good. Do we love each other? But not only do we love each other, but do we love each other earnestly. What does earnest mean? Well, this is a fervency. This is an eagerness. This is a focused effort to move toward each other. We will never speak the truth in love if we don't have love for one another. And we must be so moved with earnest, fervent love for each other that we can't, can't, when someone is grieving, we cannot stay away from someone who is grieving. We earnestly pursue them. We cannot stay away from someone who is in sin. We will not allow that sin to destroy them, and so we confront them with love. We cannot stay away when someone is enjoying great blessing because we rejoice with them and we celebrate with them. We love each other earnestly. This is a purposefulness. This is an intensity. This is a fervency. But not only are we supposed to love each other earnestly, what else does it say in that command? We are supposed to love each other from a pure heart. From the heart. This is genuineness, sincerity. Our love toward each other is not superficial. It is the real deal. It's not fake. Listen to how Paul describes his love for the Thessalonian church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Now, you can't fake love, can you? you must love from your heart. And so we ask the question, do you have a genuine, fervent love for the other people in this room? Even the ones that maybe you don't know well, maybe you don't click with. Do you have a genuine, fervent love for them? You may be thinking, well, come on, Aaron, can't we just be polite and nice to each other and go about our business? Aren't you getting a little sappy and sentimental? Like, what's with all, like, why are we so focused on loving with such fervency and such genuineness? Do I really have to show this level of earnest, genuine love for that fellow church member whom I barely know from Adam? No offense, Adam, wherever you are, all right? (laughs) Others of you think, well, maybe I don't think, I don't think I can love like that. I'm not a loving person, right? I just don't do that. You know, am I I supposed to really show that level of fervent, genuine love? That's a high bar. So let's consider how Paul explains this love or the reasons he gives for this love. There's a couple of reasons why we should love one another in this way. The first one we see in this passage, we should love each other because you have purified your soul. He's saying that genuine love is an inevitable consequence of your conversion. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, has a precondition attached to that main command to love each other earnestly. Look at the beginning of the verse. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. In other words, our love for each other does not come first. It comes as a consequence of our salvation having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, what does this phrase say? This is not saying, since you have cleansed yourself by following God's commands. I, I don't believe he's talking about the process of sanctification or following God's laws in this phrase. Rather, your obedience to the truth is referring to your obedience to the truth of the gospel. To respond and believe in the gospel is to obey the truth. In the context of the passage, verse 23 is clearly talking about conversion, about salvation, when it talks about us being born of imperishable seed. And in fact, all throughout Scripture, repentance and faith, while itself a gift from God, is, is described as the obedience of faith, That's, that to believe the gospel is to obey the gospel. And as a result, your heart is purified. We know this all throughout Scripture as well. That as, that as God saves us, he purifies our hearts. He cleanses us. And so he says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, he's talking about having been saved. Having have your souls washed clean. But look at that next phrase. You've been purified for a sincere brotherly love. Now this is a purpose statement. It's describing the reason why your soul Was purified, your soul was cleansed so that you might have a sincere brotherly love. This earnest and fervent love is the inevitable consequence of your conversion. In other words, you were saved to love. And so let's pause and ask the question Are you accomplishing the very purpose for which you were saved? Boats were made to float. Planes were made to fly. Cars are made to drive. Christians are made to love. A Christian who is not loving others earnestly is a Christian who is malfunctioning, like a boat stranded on the shore or a car up on blocks. But on, not only is, the inevitable, is love the inevitable consequence of conversion, but conversion is what makes genuine love even possible. Because we are called to love from a pure heart. And you cannot love from a pure heart if your heart has not been purified. In Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we read of our conversion in these ways. It says, for we ourselves, verse 3 of Titus 3, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another, But when the goodness and loving kindness of of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. If your heart has not been cleansed and purified by the blood of Christ, the best we can conjure up is perhaps a conditional love, a superficial love, one that is fully dependent on the actions of others or how much we like or dislike them. At worst, without Christ, we are described as those who are hated by others and hating one another. That's why we need the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is why conversion is a precondition for genuine, fervent love. So if you have been saved, if you've been washed... You have the ability to love like this, to love fervently and from a pure heart because you have experienced firsthand the love of Christ. So really, in this phrase, there's both an incredible encouragement that we've been saved so that we are able to do this, but also a a very stern rebuke because we're made to do this, and often we don't. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we begin to see more clearly why the book of 1 John presents our love for others as being the best indicator of our faith. 1 John 2, verse 9 says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And that is a very strong statement. True and genuine love is made possible through our conversion, the purifying of our hearts, and it is the intended purpose of our conversion. You were saved so that you may love each other fervently from a pure heart. So, do you have a heart of love toward those in this church? If you look around this room, would you spot people that you really love, people that you tolerate? And perhaps, perhaps some people that, if you're honest with yourself, you kind of hate. You'll never say that out loud. Is that the heart that we should have toward each other as a church? Do we get to pick and choose who we have genuine love for and who we don't? We are called to love one another because you have purified your soul. It is what you have been designed for. If we are not at least seeking to have genuine, fervent love for each other, then you're at best a malfunctioning Christian. You're not fulfilling the purpose for which you were saved. But then secondly, the other argument he gives in our passages is, love each other because you have an eternal bond. Look in verse 23. All right, let me skip ahead here a little bit. Your eternal bond. In other words, not only is genuine love based on the fact that you were converted, but it's based on the nature of your conversion. Verse 23, Love each other earnestly from a pure heart, since, because, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And so once again, he points to our conversion as the basis of our love, and he specifically points to our rebirth because of the gospel. And he presents a contrast here. Do you see that? That we're born again, not of perishable seed, what of imperishable? And then he defines what the imperishable seed is through the living and abiding word of God. That's the gospel. And so he's contrasting natural human birth and supernatural birth. And what's the difference between those two? Well, one is perishable, one is imperishable. And here's his point. Through the gospel, you share an eternal bond, an abiding family connection with your fellow Christians. If you were to continue reading in this chapter, verses 24 through 25, Peter quotes from Isaiah 40 to emphasize this point where he says, all flesh is like grass and and, and the flower of grass, but the word of God abides forever. His point, flesh is temporary, but the word of the Lord is eternal. And this eternal word, this living and abiding gospel was preached to you. And as a result, you all were born of imperishable seed. So you love each other earnestly from a pure heart because you share a bond with each other that is more lasting and permanent than even your natural bond with family members. Now, this might be hard for us to accept because we should view the bond we have with family as one of the strongest there is. But in fact, cons- considering our family bond also provides a powerful illustration for us, to help us understand how zealously and genuinely we should love each other. Let's think about your family relationships. They're not always pretty, right? They're, not, they're often messy. Sometimes you're best of friends, sometimes you don't really like each other. But despite all those ups and downs, one constant reality remains. They're family. When they need help, I'll help them. If someone's mistreating them, I'll stand up for them. That common enduring bond is what can overcome a world of differences or disagreements between family members, right? We, we're different. You maybe have a sister or a brother that's night and day different than you. We're nothing alike, but we're family. And it's that reality that prompts you to love them despite your differences. In fact, many of you might say, if it weren't for the fact that we were related, we would not be friends, Right? And yet it is that common connection, that, that family bond that allows you, gives you the reason to love. It's somewhat similar in our spiritual family, right? There are people that maybe you don't really click very well with in this room, but they're family. How important to you is the spiritual family bond that you have with the other people in this room? Your relationships may not always be pretty or perfect. Sometimes you might not like each other very much. But when push comes to shove, there is an earnest, eternal love for each other. You're there for each other. You forgive each other. You help each other. You move toward each other because you are family. Because of your eternal bond, love each other earnestly from a pure heart. During Jesus' earthly ministry, we read of this interaction in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50, while, while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. And he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus points to the eternal bond as more enduring and lasting than even his earthly family. We don't see each other this way all the time. Just like you can't, you can't pick your earthly family, you can't pick your siblings, you can't pick your spiritual family. In a similar way, you don't get to pick and choose who are part of this family based off of who you like and don't like. Like when we vote on a new member, when someone comes and, and, and we all vote, what's the basis for that vote? Is it their looks? Is it their personality? Maybe for some of you, I hope not. That, no, the, the, the one basis for that vote is that they too have been born of imperishable seed, just like us. That's it. We vote them into membership because they are family. That's the common bond that brings us together. And that should be the common bond that drives us toward each other in love. But you know what we try to do sometimes? Within our spiritual family, we try to pick and choose. We decide who gets to be part of our own mini congregation, we intentionally leave people out whom we just don't like. We allow offenses and grievances to sever family ties within the family of God. We create hierarchies of importance in our own minds to decide who we care about and who we don't. There will always be people in the church whom we're closest, closer to. And that's a good thing. Deep friendships that form with some members that don't form with others. That's, that should be expected. That's normal. But what is fundamentally unchristian is shunning a fellow believer for something as trivial as, I just don't like them. Can you hear how unchristian that is? Or perhaps just refusing to forgive an offense of a fellow believer who is seeking repentance. That person said something insensitive to me once, therefore they are off my list. They are out of my mini-congregation that I am assembling. Do we have a short list of people in the church that you have deemed as not worth your time? Jesus said in John 13, 35 to his disciples, by all this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John 3, verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Who in this church have you closed your heart against? I hope that hasn't happened. Don't do that to your family. Love each other earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. In other words, the basis for your love toward the other people in this room has nothing to do with where they come from, how old they are, what their personality is, what their likes are, none of that. If, if those things are the things that come to your mind when you define, describe why you love someone or why you don't, then you're not loving like Jesus. We love each other because, number one, we were saved to, It's the ultimate evidence that we have been born of God. And two, we love each other because we have an eternal bond that is far more lasting and stronger than even our earthly family. Now, this this is hard because we're sinners, because we're selfish. That's why we need God's grace. If we are going to speak the truth in love, if we are going to accomplish our everyday mission in the in a normal church, then we must have a genuine and abiding love for our brothers and sisters. If you're still in 1st Peter, skip ahead with me to see what loving from the heart looks like in the book of 1st Peter. He gives us some examples as we skim through this book. 1st Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 9. He says here, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Skip ahead to chapter 4 verse 8. And we see this earnest love theme pop up again. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. That's an interesting point. What is that implying? There's going to be a multitude of sins within the congregation. And it is the earnest love of Christians that covers a multitude of sins. In other words, this is not an easy love. This is not just loving those who like you back. Verse 9 continues, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. We need to have a heart of love to one another. You know, I praise the Lord that even as I look at this church, I would, I would describe our church family as a loving church. Amen. That is something that I think God, by his grace, has, has blessed this congregation with, is a heart of love toward each other, a hospitality, a care, and a tenderness. But that does not mean that we're immune to the selfishness and the pride that creeps up in our own hearts. And perhaps you're sitting here thinking, yeah, there are a list of people in this church that I have completely written off and disregarded, and I don't care. That I have just decided not to love them, and I'm fine with that. I hope that maybe you see this morning that it's, you shouldn't be fine with that. All right? if, there's, if there's offenses that need to be made, made, that need to be restored, that need to be dealt with, do that. If there's forgiveness, forgiveness that needs to be offered, forgive. It doesn't mean you're going to be best buddies. Right? It doesn't mean you have to go out and you know, go fishing together and do all this stuff together. But no, you should love each other fervently because they are in your family. They're in your spiritual family. Despite us, I think, as a, as a as generally a church that is loving, if we tolerate just a little bit of selfishness, if we tolerate a little bit of hate, of division, well, what's going to happen? It's going to spread. It's going to grow. It's going to fester. We need to stay humble before God as we seek to love each other earnestly from a pure heart. Next week we're going to focus on how do we help each other and help 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 at the heart level, from heart to heart. How do we approach each other from a heart of love and help the hearts of those who need help. But let's go ahead and pray and ask God to give us grace to love each other humbly. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being a God who loved us, who shows us what it means to love the unlovable, to love those who do not deserve it, and to love unconditionally. We thank you that we can love others because you have loved us. Lord, I pray that you would guard us, that you would grow us, that we would be a congregation that has a sincere and fervent love for each other, that if we see someone suffering or sinning or struggling or rejoicing, that we would move toward each other, that we would be there for each other as we seek to speak the truth in love to each other. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it guides us and often rebukes us. Help us, Lord, to submit to it and grow in it.